we welcome our special guest on Below the Belt show. He is a great actor who has so many great credits. Um, and uh, The Terror Infamy on AMC, or one of them. Man in the High Castle, Van Helsing, Supernatural. A lot of CW shows, too. Um, that's kind of rite of passage for Canadian actors, I think, right? <laughs> um, the one and only Lee Shorten. Lee, good to have you on Below the Belt. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you guys. Absolutely, Lee. And um, I think it's great to have you on because I got to say, I think this is this is the year for Asian actors, man. I'm telling you, this is the year for Asian actors because we have our first Oscar-nominated actor in Stephen Yoon uh, for his role in Minari. In the 93 years that the, there have been an Oscars, we got our, finally our first Asian-nominated actor. And... Uh, and not uh, have taken that long. Yeah, no. it should not yes. have taken that long. So Jeez. to see actors, you know, like yourself, you know, making waves in Hollywood and the film and television industry is just brings me a lot of joy as an ethnic actor myself. So my hat's off wow. to you, Lee. I think that's great. Yes, thanks. We appreciate your support. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Did you, how did you react when you heard about Stephen Yoon uh, becoming the first Asian actor to be nominated for Oscar in 93 years. Yeah, man. I, like, I, I was, I was stoked. Um, it's like that combination of I just like stoked. It, like a second to be like, wait, on, the first one in 93 years. It is, it is kind of crazy. But like, yeah. a, I've been a fan of Steven for a long time. I mean, I think like, obviously he was really good at Walking Dead, but even after, so many smart movies and so many smart choices, like. It's phenomenal in burning. So to see someone like Stephen, who is also a really nice guy, like to get this, it, it's like you can't really describe what it means to me. Yeah, and That's of course, awesome. yeah, and of course with you as well. I I, I think it's amazing. Uh, now I, I I had to watch some terror before having you on. I watched uh, the first two episodes, and I love love the first episode because you're introduced, your character's introduced to us in a brothel of all places. <laughs> Which I think <laughs> you're celebrating a bachelor party, right? And you're playing the character of Walt. And um, you know you're, inter- you're introduced uh, to um, Chester, um, um, the uh, the lead in in, in uh, the Terror. And um, I was curious they didn't show they didn't show you pick your girl. I was wondering who who did Walt pick. <laughs> we actually did shoot that though like we go to the top of the stairs and, and and there were like you know the girls were there and we did actually shoot me picking one and going to the room but i you know didn't make the cut but uh it was like it's such an awkward thing because like and again no judgment but but i've never been to a brothel myself yeah. um no you know, you have. <laughs> obviously you are you meet the, the we met the five girls on the day and um and and the director is just like just pick whoever you want and it's like well it's kind of awkward because you know for them too they were kind of like hoping that you would pick them because they're hoping then they get some screens they get more featured yeah. Yeah. yeah but they didn't even make the cut anyway but spoiler i did pick the the most ethnic looking girl actually oh so, there you go okay <laughs> Well, there you go. Was that kind of on a personal choice or just? Uh... 
Uh, to be honest, it was like a technical thing because she was the furthest on the right, so it was the easiest for Cam. Oh, there you go. Mm. Okay, that's a good way of justifying. I love it. <laughs> how, overall, how did you love your experience uh, working on that project? I mean, I mean, you got George Takei. I mean, he's a Star Trek icon, you know, and uh, you're working in such amazing cast. And the first episode, my God, gave me chills from the opening scene with the Japanese hair. Um, thing went oh my god straight in the ear i was like cringing watching that scene knowing that would be just a horrible way to die (laughs) because those things go to the brain you know yeah i mean i can say i'm glad that you were cringing at at the show because it's a good guy to cringe but um yeah yeah man it was a crazy experience for me too because obviously george and then the first Asian character I had ever seen on television ever as a kid was the Shredder from the from the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Hmm. So then James Saito, who played the Shredder, was playing my dad on the Terror. So that was also that's, like, that's amazing. So there's like two childhood icons on the show. So it was kind of fun. <laughs> Whoa! It's nice to kind of pick their brain and hear their stories and and kind of learn from them because they're you know they're the OGs have been around for forever. So. That's mm-hmm. that's right. Wow, that's a good point. You mentioned that. That's awesome. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, man. Who doesn't remember that, man? <laughs> that is classic. And you had like an eight-episode run on that on that season. So that, I that, did. That, yeah, that that's fantastic, man. So it's an anthology series. So the third season will probably have a completely different storyline from a, maybe a different. You know, it could be really anything, really. But but just the focus on. You know, that period, uh, that time period was, was for, for you and and focusing on and the Japanese aspect of it was really cool. Um, how did you enjoy Like, first of all, I, I thought the accuracy of, of the costuming was, was on point and like and, and just transporting us to a time period um, just was so, so, so poignant, so good in the series. It was really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that like again, hats off to our production design team and you know wardrobe and everyone because they do a lot of research and they do their best and it really it makes your job as an actor so much easier when you walk onto a set that looks so real and everyone's dressed like it does like fifty percent for you. Um, and like the the craziest thing about our show, I think, was because uh, we shot in Canada and uh, but they I didn't know until we shot the show. The Canadian government interned Japanese Canadians during the war as well. And mm. a lot of the locations we shot in were historically used during that period. So, like in that episode two, where we were at that, uh, the racetrack, the horse stalls, yeah. they were actual horse stalls where they interned Japanese Canadians in the war. And wow. our, our, our first AD, his parents had been interned there. So, mm. like wow. a lot of the times, the set was like a very kind of like emotional place hmm. wow um so your character i guess um being uh, australian but but being asian ethnicity um do you do you, your roles tend to go more of the asian from asian countries versus maybe a character that not could be designated any ethnicity for that matter yeah, I think, yeah, the, the bulk of my roles have been, like, Asian-specific roles, uh, I think. For, for I guess because a lot of them are period pieces, too. Like, even on Ben Helsing, I, you know, it was, like, a weird sort of semi-flashback episode. So, like, uh, yeah, 
So I tend to do a lot of period pieces for some reason. I, I guess I have that kind of face, whatever that means. <laughs> Is that a challenge being Australian, I guess, and trying to, to, to do the accents as, as, as whatever Asian um, ethnicity you're portraying? Um, it, it, can, it can be, but I sort of, you know, in the early days, someone had said to me, you should probably learn all these accents because you're going to be oh. asked to do it. So I, I, I had I had um, gone out of my way a little bit to try and to work on them, and, and you know like if you if you talk to like a native speaker, my my proficiency varies from depending on which Asian country it's from. But uh, right, uh, I try. Which what which one are you most proficient in? I would say which Japanese. In Japanese, okay, very nice. Okay, very cool. Um, I think that's amazing. I mean, and and. Every Australian actor is so good at turning off their Australian accent. And, and for American for American actors, if they go the other route, I think it's more of a challenge for American actors. But uh, oh, I can't do you accents. Know, you know what I think it is? <laughs> I, I was like, because, uh, you know, learning American, I think, A, because Australians grow up watching a combination of British TV and American TV. So we're a bit like familiar with the accent. And then I realized, Australians, I think, have all the sounds that that comprise the American accent and the British accent. Americans and, and British, they, they, they don't both have an overlap in all the sounds. So when they're learning accents, they've got to, like, adapt their mouth and their tongue. In it. Oh, interesting. Wow. Again, it seems like there's a lot of challenges, of course, doing the Asian accents, doing the American accents. But have you, been, have you done any roles with your Australian accent? Not professionally. Oh, right. actually, on a cartoon. I played a kangaroo on, on a cartoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a, it's kind of intriguing, right? You haven't been asked to use your Australian accent uh, in any professional project. You know, I think it's that thing of like, you know, you always want to serve the story, and so if 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 you're like in a show and suddenly this random character doesn't have an American accent. The audience is kind of trained, I think, to be like, that's weird. What's up with that? That guy must be important. What is the deal with, with that guy? So then if, if you're not going to be that important, then I think it detracts from the story. That, that's my kind of take on it. Love it. I love it, man. Awesome. Tell us about working on Man in the High Castle. We've had a couple of actors uh, from Man in the High Castle. I think it was one of the most underrated um, dramas Um on Amazon, or in general, really, because it didn't really get, didn't get any um, like award contention, which I think it was deserving some award contention. Um, but tell us about your experience working on that set, because again, that's a very, I mean, just the production design on that set is amazing. I mean, we're talking about a fantasy, his a, a historical fantasy set. If the Japanese and the Germans won the World War and it influenced the United States and I just thought it was a brilliant, brilliant story. But how was your experience on that set? Uh, well, yeah, first, thank you. Yeah, I, like I'm very proud of that show. And, and, and I, I think it was pretty underrated, too. Because I'm biased as hell. But, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was like my first kind of big gig, you know, like my first rec recurring ongoing thing. It was, it was, it was crazy because I'm a huge Philip K. Dick fan. And, and, you know, I've, I've been a big Ridley Scott fan for a long time, too. So, so there was like... It was uh, immense too. I gotta say, like 
I've always been very lucky because every job I've had, I've kind of been paired with like an older Asian actor. Like on, on that show, I was with Joel. And, and every time they have been the most like generous, gracious professionals you could come across. And they really kind of very patient and, and would like teach me things and take me under their wing. So, and you don't always get that, you know, and sometimes, right. you know, just be geeks in a CW show, no disrespect. It's like all the cast is like 20 and they're all kind of like, they don't have that, that experience. And right. That, awesome. yeah. that show was amazing to work on for sure. Very That's lucky. awesome. Yeah. So since you have that CW experience, you, you can definitely, uh, you can definitely vouch for that for sure. Cause supernatural being one of them right i mean that's being a a cw show which you know most cw shows are very formulaic right they're very very focused on on younger cast yeah although again i don't know what it is like maybe it was that time in my life that i was like again all my scenes were with mark shepard who's an older actor who was very generous and very And when I did Arrow, it was with like Michael Emerson, who is an older act. Like I think I just okay. went through a phase where it's like, this guy is the sidekick. He <laughs> needs to be the sidekick for like every guy there. <laughs> <laughs> How was your experience on Supernatural? I mean, this is the longest running CW show, I think, right? Fifteen yeah. seasons. It's yeah, finally just... finally coming to an end, and you you got to appear in a handful of episodes. Uh, uh, are you sad to see it go, or do you feel that 15 years was, was a good time to bail out? I I mean, like, 15 years is a, is a long time, but, like, their fans are, are so good. They're such a passionate fan base. Yeah, they're they just are. Very, like, what, what I actually was surprised, because, I mean, like, I think my first episode was, like, season 10, so they've already been going for a long time. Right. But it was so, like in the best possible way, kind of shocking to me when I got the set, because although it was like a well-oiled machine, like probably like the smoothest set I've ever been on, right. they were still like having a lot of fun and still trying new things. Like it was, it was like, I could see why it ran for so long because they weren't jaded and, and, and like over it and they weren't just punching the clock. So it, it was nice. And that was a, that was a funny game again because like it was only supposed to be one episode and then it was kind of like i just kept getting promoted it was like i was minion number two and then i was minion number one and then i was like the leader demon yes (laughs) (laughs) to go from a minion to a leader is Mm -hmm. is quite an arc Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. (laughs) for sure absolutely man um of course van helsing another another very popular show i think you alluded to one of your characters, uh, Ma- and you're a master Tui? 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 How do you pronounce Tui. it? Tui. Yeah, yes, that's your suit. <laughs> How was your experience on Van Helsing? It was good. Um, I was like, uh, it, it was an interesting one in that way. And again, I had a lot of fun. and We got to do a lot of stunts, which was the first time I'd really got to do that. But they were like, uh, they were determined to like not make this guy a stereotypical kung fu master. So it was like interesting to try and find that. And how do we, how do we do, how do we do what we need to do because he is a kung fu master, but not make him a cut out kung fu master. But, yeah. <laughs> what is your martial arts background? Do you do you feel as an Asian actor? 
who's Australian, but still an Asian actor, uh, gets put into roles that may require some martial arts? Totally. Um, look, I, I did a bit of ta uh, Taekwondo when I was a kid, and that was about it. And then I box a little as well. But I, you know, I, I'm unpopular opinion, but like I, I think the challenge facing Asian actors is we're often expected to know martial arts. It's just like, oh, if you're going to even audition for this role, you have to know martial arts. Hmm. Whereas I think our, our white counterparts, that's not the case. They'll get the role and then they will train them. Like right. Tom Hardy, you know, Chris Evans didn't really fight before Captain America, you know, yes. like they, they will, they will just focus on the acting and then they'll get the guy and then they'll be like, here's six months to train and prep and, and we'll, we'll let you do the thing. Whereas for us, that's definitely not the case. They're like, do you fight? Oh, you, if you don't fight, then you can't even read for this show. Oh, jeez, so, Wow. Not be like that. It's like fighting yeah, first and acting, right? Yeah. It should be acting first, then fighting. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, every project's different, but yeah, I think, I think we should just be afforded the same like time and resources that, that everyone else mm -hmm. is, right? Yeah. Well, how do you think it's been for Asian actors overall? Do you think that we're getting an improvement or you think there still needs more representation? I mean, there's no, there's no denying it's better, like a hundred percent better. Like you, you, you look around totally like, again, like Stephen Ewan is, is up for, is up for, um, an Oscar, exactly. just insane. Yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, I feel like we're at the middle stage now, which is, which is good, but like, it's still like every time you're an Asian character, even though we've, we've moved a little bit beyond stereotype, now it's like your Asianness is integral to the story or integral to the character. You're not just a person. It's like that is the narrative reason for you to exist is your Asianness. Hmm. Whereas I think I want to get to the next level, which is where I think like black actors are at. It's incidental. It informs who they are, but it's not their reason for existing in the story. Like Denzel can just be Denzel, right? right. But even Yuan can't really just be Stephen Yuan. And John Cho, except for maybe searching, can't just be John Cho. They've they got to be like very Asian somehow. They, they fight. They speak another language. They're yeah. immigrants. You know, it's, it's, it's like, and again, it's, except it's for Harold and Kumar. <laughs> he broke some stereos, stereotypes of Harold and Kumar, though. I'll give John Cho that. <laughs> Who's a stoner? What Asian plays a stoner? I thought that was breaking ground. That was good. <laughs> we need to see, we need to see Asian characters, like so many different kinds of people. Like I hate that. Like you always see Asian actors or Asian characters in certain roles, and it shouldn't. And that's why representation is so important because we need to see these like so many different types of characters. Um, and I'm hoping that's what we'll start to see as, as time moves forward yeah. and we get to that next level. I know. It took 93 years to get that uh, best Oscar now. So, Yeesh. you know, but Parasite, hey, you know, Parasite was all over the uh, Oscars, uh, you know, last year. So, you know, it, you know, it's a, yeah, we're moving in the right direction. We're not quite there yet, but, mm. you know, moving in the right direction for, for actors of color that, that have been, underrepresented for sure for sure um but i want to talk a little bit more ali about your directorial efforts your experience um from behind the camera you've done a, a couple indies that have won uh, film festivals um 
the Vancouver Asian Film Festival. He had a directorial debut for Jarobe, or however you pronounce that. <laughs> uh, and um, The Chattening, uh, which um, won you Best Director in the 48-Hour Film Fest in 2019. Talk to us a little about um, your work uh, behind the camera and and how you became interested in doing that side. And, uh, and if, yeah, if you could talk us through that, that'd be awesome. Damn, you guys, you guys really done your homework, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we got to thank Ashley Buck. She's amazing. She provides me all the, the good highlights and notes. I, can talk to you. I love uh, Ashley. I Buck. Um, well, you know, um, I was never one of those guys who wanted to be an actor since I was a kid. Um, I just had always like film. And then I went to law school when I, graduate school because that was like the thing to do like you know it's like you have to go to med school you have to go to law school yes especially with asian parents right they, they yeah. want you to pursue that that career that that you know that you'll do well it's not a risk right totally my family so i did film studies as my undergrad because i i just love film like i was that guy who like watched the dvd director's commentary and like you know like in all the interviews and the behind the scenes like i just love film and so I, weirdly, I always thought that I would be a director rather than an actor. But then, uh, you know, I was a lawyer for a few years, very unhappy, and I was like, I'm going to change careers. And, wow. and my lawyer brain, which seemed smart at the time, but totally doesn't make any sense about it in the business, was like, well, listen, man, the thing is, if there's a movie, there's like one director, but there's like 50 actors in it. So you should be an actor because it's like easier to, to get into than directing, which is like not necessarily true. But... My whole, you know, I acted for a few years, but the directing thing really came out of like wanting to put my friends in. There were like a lot of my friends who also, you know, black or Latina or Asian, and they weren't getting the roles that I felt like they could like actually do, you know, right. they show what, what they're really capable of. So I just really wanted to start telling stories to showcase my friends, really. Wow, that, that's pretty awesome. But mm-hmm. before, but I want to pivot back to the law, the law school thing, because it's interesting that that being a lawyer, going through all that education, law school for that matter, um, and then you know, completely following a creative path from it, um, was there any hesitation? Because you know, you put all this effort and time into studying law and getting a law degree and passing the bar. Um, any hesitation to jump forward to acting and leave the law and leaving that behind? Or is this one of those things that you can still come back to if you want to? Yeah, that was the thing. I think I was, I was like, I was up for this really big promotion. Um, I, I had a long-term girlfriend and like, you know, we were talking about like getting a house and, and doing all the things. And then I was like, if I do this, that's like, that's it. Like I could see my whole life, you know, just laid out before me. And I was like, so I think this is the, this is the last chance to just take a shot at something else. And then if that doesn't pan out, I mean, yeah, you know, my law degree is not going anywhere. I can come back and maybe pick up the pieces. Pr- probably not my poor girlfriend because, <laughs> you know, and luckily, you know, she's, she's, wonderful. she's moved on and she's happily married now. But um, I, I didn't really hesitate. No. Like, it's probably stupid, but, yeah. Okay, no, no, that's not stupid at all. Look at Dr. Mm-hmm. Ken Jeong. Dr. Yeah. Ken Jeong, from the Hangover fame, he's on The Mass Singer now. I mean, he's incredible. He's a medical doctor. 
Yeah. And and started to do a stand up comedy and broke into movies and television. I mean, you know, I you know, you gotta follow your heart sometimes and then Ken's become very successful at it. You become successful. Mm-hmm. You're a working yeah. actor. You know, not a lot of people can say working actor, and, and that that's what's great. I mean, I think that's just great that you've uh, you've been able to do that um, because great accomplishment. Because a lot of actors, myself included, we still need to do other things, you know, to 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 make make those ends meet. But uh, you know, it's an accomplishment, Lee. I'm, yeah, very 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 happy for you, and it's paid off. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Very very cool. Um, so, so, so you have a couple of independent films that went into. Um, so you, you talked about you're alluding to just putting friends in films, but is this something you want to revisit on on the higher production level uh, as being a director, or or you think your focus should be right now on the on the acting? Opportunity presented itself. Um, like, yeah, I, I really like directing, and um, and it's something I would do. I, like, I I have. I, you know, last year, a lot of us were uh, in, in lockdown, still are in lockdown, and I, I did a lot of writing. I wrote a couple of features, um, but you, you know how it is. Funding funding is tough. Right. <laughs> yes. James is our resident filmmaker here. He can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> funding is always a challenge, right? When always. Yeah. And especially, like, I, you know, my my features have like black and Asian leads. And so getting financing sometimes that is even harder because yeah. there's like no, there's no bankable stars. Mm. Like maybe there will be now we have Steven, but like he, he can't do everything. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, that's great hearing that. Ali, you, you're about to say something. And you've got uh, a few projects that um, with like Swan song, when is, are you starting with Aquafina? And Ooh. can you tell us anything about um, Swan Song? Um, not too much, unfortunately, because I think that's almost like MCU level NDA, and mm. Ben and Apple will come to my wow. house. <laughs> mm, yeah, amazing cast, by the way. Mm-hmm. You're working with Glenn Close, Marshall Ali. Hello. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't in your bio, though. Thank you, Ali, for bringing that film up. That was great. <laughs> But this this film was not in your bio that you're publishing. Probably, maybe maybe actually because we can't talk a lot about it. Maybe. Okay. Uh, that was that was another one. Like honestly, I got the set and I was it was like that moment you look around and Herschel is there and Glenn Close is there and you're literally like, am I am I actually supposed to be here? Like, is this, wow. is this right? Is Great this feeling, right? isn't it? Yeah, it's like pinch me. Am I dreaming? Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you say talk about anything about your character? I I don't think so. Okay, that's quite <laughs> all right. Well, we know it's a sci-fi. It's a drama sci-fi. I know how sci-fi is. You know, I mean, if you're working for Lucasfilm, yeah, you you kind of have to sign your life away. And I'm sure if it's on that level of sci-fi, um, can. Is there a sci-fi film that is kind of inspired by Swan Song, maybe? That kind of has some of the notes of it? I think I can, like, it's, this might seem really weird, um, but it was funny because when I met with the director to talk about this role, I I brought this up and he was like, no, totally. And I was like, oh, I was kind of shocked. Like, imagine Ex Machina, but 
instead of kind of like a tense psychological thriller, it's almost like a love story instead. Oh. So I know that seems really weird, but best way I can describe it. I love that. Yeah. Do you know when? Because I saw it says 2021. Um, Do you know when the film is going to be released or there's going to be more about it? When are we getting a trailer? <laughs> yeah. We read in February. And, I mean, you know, you know, sci-fi, there's a lot of, like, post-production. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't, I'm fortunate, I don't know. But I'd be surprised if it was out, like, anytime soon. Yeah. Okay. We'll definitely have to be on the lookout for that one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, look, I, um, like, me being in it aside, like, the script is beautiful. The director, Ben Cleary, you can check out his short, which won an Oscar, called The Stutterer, and it is, like, an incredibly beautiful short, and I think that would give the film, like, the tone of the film. And Mahershala is, like, like obviously he's a next-level actor, but then on this, I think it's, like, again, it's, like, a side of him you haven't been allowed to see yet, and I think it's, like... Really? You got me really intrigued, Lee. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. But I, I'm, I'm reading here on IMDb that uh, Apple TV is the distributors. This is something we'll see on Apple TV. Are we allowed to yeah. say that? Okay, yeah, good. Totally. All right. Yeah, they're getting um, Apple TVs. They're coming up with some big projects. So this is very, very exciting. You must have been so thrilled. I mean, that would that could that be your biggest uh, gig to date, this one song? Uh, yeah, yeah, easily. E- yeah. Easily. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. You actually also have something that just dropped on FXX, the nine films about technology. Yeah. Um, what yeah. can you tell us about that project? I know that's a kind of like standalone, ep- standalone episodes on how mobile devices and technology have changed our lives pretty much, right? Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I kind of describe it as if Black Mirror was just a comic. And I don't mean like just in like a like a you know, disparaging way, but it doesn't you know kind of have that you know Black Mirror is again like kind of psychological. It's got a mm-hmm. lot of like uh, like icky feeling about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is just like a look at technology uh, in a humorous way, um, and uh, it's it's another one where the director writer um, he did a short film called Five Films About Technology, and it mm-hmm. played. T- and then FX were like, hey, you should, we should give you some money and you should, like, expand upon this. Hmm. And it's kind of weird, like, the timing is so weird because I think I can spoil it because I, I guess it's dropped it, now. It dropped last week, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, in my episode, I, I'm married, it's my wedding, and this video plays of my wife being like super racist huh. and, and which, which no one knew about and then the film the, the episode's like a lot about us kind of reconciling that at, at a wedding and it just feels like with everything going on this week such a such a strange time to be dropping that episode in maybe a good way or maybe a bad way i don't i don't know hmm. when you say things going on this week are, are we alluding to the headline news about the six or seven Asian women that were, were killed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, and there's just been a lot of attacks on the Asian elders too. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. 
Wow. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think that it's really appalling. Of course, they're calling it now due to his sex addiction because he frequented those places. But when you see things like that, as an, as an Asian actor, and, and, and someone that's a role model, of course, for, for actors and, and people that are trying to get in the entertainment industry that are Asian, um, when, you th- when you see things like that, I mean, how do you react to something like that? How do you, how do you wrap your head around something like that? It's just so appalling. Uh, yeah, of course. It's, um, I mean, honestly, my first thought is with, with the victims, friends, and families, um, which, which, which I think often get kind of left out in the whole narrative that builds up around, you know, everything else. And then, I mean, I'm sure you understand too, like, yeah, it's in the headlines this week, but we're talking about years and years of of this kind of thing existing everything mm-hmm. just happens to a particular point you know to enter the zeitgeist this week so i mean a lot of the time i just feel very sad and angry but it's i don't know i don't know what the answer is because we're talking about cultural change and i don't, I don't even know how that really happens Aside from time, you know, like yeah, yeah I, I, like again, it's crazy to think you know the Chinese Exclusion Act wasn't really that long ago. The Japanese internment camps weren't that long ago. Jim Crow, slavery, mm-hmm. like women not being able to vote. Like, like, I think people like technology has has made our lives move at such a rapid pace. So sometimes I think maybe it's it's easy to forget that the social, economic, and cultural changes actually are very, very fresh. Mm-hmm. Might get a new iPhone, but all that other stuff is so new has never been really dealt with. I agree. Right. And I think that's this the series nine films about technology speaks volumes, and there's a lot of lessons learned. On, on how how impactful technology will be, especially with your episode, Lee. But um, Lee, wow, we we thank you so much, man. This is a great mm-hmm. interview. Yeah. Uh, thanks for talking to us and uh, giving us some time to talk with us here on Below the Belt Show. Um, we always like to wrap uh, a little promo. Let us know who you are. Throw out whatever you'd like. You know, the terror swan song, if you can. And <laughs> you're listening to Below the Belt Show. Throw out a catchphrase plug. Whatever you want at the end. And um, yeah, that'd be great. So whenever you're ready. Hi, I'm Lee Shorten. I'm an uh, actor. You might know me from Man in the High Castle or Supernatural or The Terror. Uh, you can catch me on this week's episode of Cape on FX and pretty soon in Apple's movie starring Herschel Ali, Swan Song. And uh, this has been the Below the Belt Show. And thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Yes! Yes. And you're amazing, Lee. Yes, you are. You're our hero for, for all us ethnic actors, myself and Ali included. We look up to people like you, man. Yes. No, well, <laughs> I'm, again, I'm sorry this got so heavy. I feel bad. Anyway, no. so. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. It was, it was a pleasure. Uh, thanks for being a part of our show. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It was great hey, talking have, with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, you too. Okay. Have a good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.